Well, the RBA decision yesterday gave the markets a bit of a jolt. Then another one overnight with the latest job openings in the United States. Less jobs than expected and more people leaving, not by choice. And the return of banking worries with trading suspended for a couple of regional banks in the United States for a spell. Uh, the moves have been in all asset classes. They've been quite pronounced overnight. So stick with us for the full story of that. And the FOMC just around the corner. It's Wednesday, the 3rd of May, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So, big falls in oil yesterday and overnight. WTI is down 5.3%. Brent down over 5% as well, almost down to $75 a barrel, just $5 off its 52-week low. And gold shot up as well overnight, 1.5% up. Lots of currency action to speak of. So, although there's only a slight fall in the US dollar this morning on the DXY index, it's down 0.7% against the Japanese yen and up 0.6% on the Canadian dollar. But one commodity currency doing well, the Aussie dollar is up over half percent on the US dollar, up over 66.6 US cents. The pound is down 0.2%, the euro up 0.3%. And bond yields, well, 10-year treasuries down 14 basis points, down 15 in Canada. But Aussie 10-year yields yesterday up nine basis points to 3.44%. Then overnight on futures, well, they lost six of those points. Yields also down quite a bit across the UK and Europe, most around four or five basis points lower. Equity markets not doing too well. We've got at close a 1.1% drop in the Dow and the Nasdaq. The S&P down 1.2%. They all have picked up a little from earlier on in the session, but not looking good in Europe. The Eurostoxx 50 closed down 1.5%. The FTSE down 1.2%. Same for the DAX. So quite a lot of movement in gold, in oil, in equities, falls in the US dollar. Uh, all of this happened or started to happen around uh, 10 o'clock New York time on Tuesday midnight for much of Australia. Uh, why? Well, let's look at that with Nabs Tapper Strickland in Sydney. I mean, that time was the time that the job openings came out in the United States, the JOLTS numbers. But also, uh, there was a lot of concern at the time about uh, uncertainty in the regional banking sector. And uh, that is very much top of the agenda again, isn't it? Hey, good morning, Phil. Yes, the developments within the banking system um, are probably the most concerning of the market moves overnight. And um, you'd have to say markets were already trading that way. And then the jolts added to those further extended those moves. So just in terms of what's been going on in uh, the banking system offshore. So uh, the regional bank index in the US uh, is down 6.5% today and the wider KBW bank index is down 4.5%. So those jitters around the banking sector are still remain. Yeah, well, the, the, bank, the banks where there's the biggest concerns, PacWest Bancor and uh, Western Alliance Bancor, I mean, their shares, which, which were suspended for a chunk of the session, uh, but their shares are down around 20%, aren't they? Exactly. I think uh, shares of Bankwest, uh, oh, sorry, shares of PacWest are down by 24%. Um, and it seems like investors mm. um, are a little bit concerned that there were no changes to the FDIC's deposit insurance after some flagging that there may be some changes. More discussion about their exposure to commercial real estate loans. And we know the smaller regional banks in the US have a large exposure to the commercial real estate sector. And then I think some of the gloss was also coming from what was going on in Europe, particularly in regards to the latest uh, European uh, banking survey done by the ECB. And they just noted in their latest survey that a net 38% of banks in the euro area uh, reported a decline in demand for credit from companies in the first three months of the year. And that's the biggest uh, decline since the global financial crisis of 2008 and 2009. So you've seen a sharp fall off in loan demand being reported in that survey. And then as, in addition to that, credit conditions are also the, the tightest since um, since about 2011 when they started asking those kind of, kind of questions. And if you are, and, and if you cut your mind back to what happened in 2011, that was a European sovereign debt crisis. So um, 
the fear is, is that that tightening up in credit conditions, the easing or substantial easing in loan demand that's apparent in that bank lending survey in the euro area so is being seen in is- the US as well. And we don't get the next senior loan officer survey until next Monday. So it's, to me, it's no surprise why you've seen such a big sell-off in regional banks in, in right. the US. And yet curious, isn't it? Because, I mean, that, that lending survey is saying, yes, it's the, it's the tightening of the criteria for loans to businesses and for housing loans. If you look across the English Channel, UK house prices, curiously up in April by half percent month on month. Uh, so, uh, you know, even with interest rates of four and a quarter percent and the expectation that the Bank of England is going to have another rise uh, this month as well. Uh, but the F- Forbes is pointing to a website, better.co.uk, which reckons Brits can get a two-year fixed mortgage at 3.78%, less than the Bank of England rate. Uh, so, th- I mean, they may have tight credit. In, you know, of course, you've, g- you've still got to uh, get approval for that. But it, it sort of seems to imply that, you know, the, the UK has got a very different approach to Europe or the United States. It, it may suggest that, although it may also suggest policy just isn't tight enough in the UK itself. And you have to remember back where core inflation is running in the UK and also where wages are running at as well. Wages in the UK, I think, are running well in excess of what they're running at in the US and, and in Europe. So that suggests that policy just is not tight enough in, in the UK. But at least what the uh, bank's lending survey data suggests for the European economies, that suggests you're getting to the point where policy is getting relatively tight, that it's starting to impact on loan demand and also on credit standards as well. Right. Well, and in the US also jobs, uh, because we had the JOLTS numbers, which was uh, quite a downside surprise. So 384,000 less job openings in February. Uh, than in February, I should say, in March. But um, uh, I, I guess the difference as well was less quits, more layoffs. So this isn't the great resignation. Maybe this is the start of the great redundancy. So 248,000 extra layoffs and discharges. So people are leaving, not by choice. Uh, that's right. And those job openings, I think, are the lowest since April 2021. So some easing up in the tightness in the US labor market, and that is what US Fed officials have, have been wanting to see. And that pickup in layoffs would be encouraging from that point of view, although not for those people obviously being laid off there. Um, just to worth noting, though, they're, um, relative to the number of people who are uh, unemployed in, in the US, there's still 1.64 job openings per unemployed person. Um, so um, it is a good sign in terms of some easing up in the tightness in the labour market, but the labour market overall still remains relatively tight. And so, so I think that just keeps the Fed continuing to um, well, I guess they meet on Wednesday. Um, and so they're likely to hike by 25 basis points, but also pushes back perhaps on that market pricing of cuts that you do see in the back end of this year. And markets are pricing, in, I think, about 60 basis points worth of cuts in the second half of this year. So some grounds for pushing back on that pricing of cuts again. Yeah. Well, so the meet, so the meet tomorrow morning, of course, Australia time just before the podcast tomorrow. So, uh, I mean, 50 basis points, obviously, right now would be a very bold move. I mean, if you're saying 60 overall. So, but it's, uh, I, I, it's now sort of fully priced at 25 basis points, isn't it? It's come down quite a lot. Uh, that's right. And I thought, uh, there's been a few interesting articles, and I think uh, Taylor referenced one of them with you recently. Um, so Nick Timoraos, who's the Wall Street Journal's Fed whisperer, wrote an article on the weekend uh, saying that um, the Fed may be less less um, explicit in terms of uh, hinting towards pausing, just given they want to create some optionality if the data were to come in stronger than expected. And uh, the Wall Street Journal is also running a piece just discussing what the Fed said back in uh, May 20. 
uh, May 2006, when they were last discussing whether they should pause or, or not um, after a prolonged period of a hiking cycle. Um, and uh, Chair Ben Bernanke did note back then he wanted to say um, – uh, if inflation was a nail, monetary policy was a hammer. We do not have to strike the nail, but we have to show that we are not putting down the hammer. We have to keep it in our hands. So, um, basically, <laughs> in, a, in a threatening manner, basically, is what he's exactly, saying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, basically, we want to keep that optionality. And so, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Fed chair um, continues to push back on that market pricing of cuts, which may come across as marginally more hawkish than perhaps what the um, market is, is thinking. Right. I mean, we had other soft data as well, didn't we? So the US factory order is also down quite a bit. Takeout transport and it's down 0.7% in March. And tonight uh, we get the US services PMI, which uh, is expected to pick up. The, em- the employment number there is going to be interesting, isn't it? Because is it going to reflect the weakness we've just seen in those jolts numbers, for example? Uh, definitely. In the last uh, ISM services did surprise expectations and came down quite quite sharply. Consensus only sees a small rebound though to 51.8 from 51.2. I'll also be looking quite closely at prices paid. Uh, that also fell quite sharply last month. And historically, that has correlated quite well with one of the price indices that uh, Fed Chair Powell likes, the uh, PC, core PC excluding housing. So um, if you saw further weakness in that, then that may give you a little bit more confidence that inflationary pressures are set to ease. And this big fall that we've seen in oil, well, I guess it's just commodity traders have now put all the pieces of the jigsaw together. The US downturn, that uh, weaker than uh, manufacturing numbers that we saw from China early in the week, uh, credit conditions that you've talked about, the bank collapses, rising interest rates. Uh, you put all that together, no wonder prices are falling. Yeah, I think so. And I think just basically thin liquidity is, as well. You have to remember that most of Europe was out for a public holiday on Monday, just given it yeah, was May Day as well. So as well. Um, that's, that, that's probably one factor. Right. There. Okay. Now, the surprise, the elephant in the room, uh, the surprise from the RBA yesterday, those... Uh, uh, I mean, the three-year bond yield yesterday afternoon, really, it was like the north face of the Iger, wasn't it? From 3.05%, uh, getting up 20 basis points in pretty short order. So how did everyone, well, not everyone, but how did almost everyone get it so wrong? It was quite a startling move in terms of uh, market moves in Australia yesterday, and that was mostly because no one was thinking the RBA was going to move rates. And the reason why the market has been so wrong over the past, uh, say, three or four months, and also indeed most economists, is perhaps the RBA has been too willing to guide markets in this soft landing narrative that it's been trying trying to spin um, in getting inflation to 3% by middle of 2025 and only seeing a small rise in the unemployment rate. And always kind of giving the impression that they're almost done in terms of the tightening cycle and markets pretty much believing them every every time they say that. Um, And so I guess the key takeaway from the statement and from his speech yesterday is the RBA is trading a very fine line here. It's really at the end of its tolerance in terms of getting inflation back to target over a reasonable timeframe. And I think that reasonable timeframe is quite crucial here. And uh, that comes in the context that the RBA review that we had recently recommended the RBA target the midpoint of the 2 to 3% inflation target, not the upper bit of it. Um, and the RBA also assesses inflation risks as being to the upside. And so really in terms of asymmetric, so it doesn't take too much in terms of the assessment of risks to get the RBA moving in or if data were to print to the high right, side but, there. I mean, in terms of the reason why they moved at this moment. Yeah, well, I mean, why um, did, well, more to the point, why, and it is ancient history, I guess, but why did they pause last time? I mean, you know, obviously 
the RBA was quite a bit behind the Fed and the Bank of England and, and New Zealand and wages and services inflation were still a big concern last time. I mean, what has changed since? So, so yeah, it's a question of why now, but really, why did they stop? It's, it's a very good question. It seems like uh, both decisions were fairly close. If you, um, uh, if you go by what Governor Lowe said in his speech last night, and so that does suggest um, maybe there's not a fully consensus out there in terms of the approach the RBA has been taking over the past couple of meetings. And maybe that's symptomatic of what appears to be a pretty knee-jerk RBA over the past couple of months, not very predictable by most people within the market there. But as for the current meeting and the reason why they raised rates, uh, they gave uh, three reasons, and that was a labor market remains tight. Um, house prices have been recovering. You mentioned the UK, um, and so maybe there's some link in there. Um, they mentioned the exchange rate, and uh, they also said that uh, services inflation abroad looks like it's persistent, and that may have lessons for Australia here. So in terms of risk to the RBA outlook, you'd have to say the risks are that the RBA feels compelled that it has to go one or two times more. And uh, I think we should continue to watch the data, and the RBA uh, assessment of the risks around that data flow rather than taking the RBA's um, statement of a soft landing or a narrow path to that soft landing as a pre-commitment as many people within um, the economics community and markets have been taking over the past couple of months. So have we got a clear idea of what we think the terminal rate is now? I think we've got a clear idea that the RBA is willing uh, to do what it takes to get inflation down. Um, and I think we're getting starting to get a better idea that if that does risk a downturn, then the RBA is probably willing to do that. Um, the RBA, though, is going to be late to the party in making that assessment. So the risk is if inflation is more persistent, um, if it doesn't look like it's coming down, um, and if it doesn't look like inflation is going to get back down to 2 to 3% uh, by the middle of uh, 2025, and the RBA is willing to do more. So we could go over 4%? It's it, it's quite possible. Um, it, it's it, it's uh, unclear exactly what rate uh, is needed in order to reduce inflationary pressures and to dampen down activity. What we did see is when the RBA did say that they were going to um, pause back in April and uh, gave those indications that lead up to that meeting, um, you saw house price in Australia take off again. So that probably suggests that the level of rates mm. is not restrictive enough. Um, and so the risks are that the RBA probably has to go another one or two Interesting times. how much house prices have, uh, have, have come into this, isn't it? But there we are. It is a very different attitude, isn't it? So, uh, we, of course, we'll talk more about the, uh, the the ECB tomorrow after we've got over the FOMC tomorrow morning. But the uh, but we did get, of course, the inflation numbers for April for the euro area, which have come down quite a bit. I mean, a huge variation from country to country, but I guess that it's going up in Italy, for example. And manufacturing PMIs, the final numbers, revised up a little, still below 50, of course. But I guess all of that's uh, sort of like uh, uh, less important, given, you know, those that, that that survey from the ECB that you're telling us about and uh, about how uh, credit approvals are, are getting much tighter. Yes, yeah, so it probably suggests that the ECB on Thursday um, probably needs to go by 25 basis points um, and probably which is back on a 50 basis point move and also suggests that the ECB needs to be very mindful and needs to watch the data quite closely in terms of further tightening from here, just to see whether that tightening in credit conditions that is evident in that survey, uh, to what extent does that spill over to the real economy and to the inflationary process? So um, I think people will be watching the data flow quite closely coming out of Europe over the next coming months. Well, and amongst that data is the unemployment rate for the euro area, which we get later on, and the ADP employment numbers for the United States as well. Uh, but uh, of course, the FOMC and the press conference uh, early in the morning tomorrow will be across it on tomorrow morning's podcast. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Tapas. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. It 
is busy, 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 isn't it? And it's only going to get busier. All the more reason to stick with us on the morning call. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Thanks for listening.